0: Chapter Twenty Four of the Armourer's Apprentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Armourer's Apprentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter Twenty Four. The Soldier of a worthy london prentice my purpose is to speak and tell his brave adventures done for his country's sake seek all the world about and you shall hardly find a man in valour to exceed a prentice gallant mind the homes of a london prentice six more years had passed over the dragon court when one fine summer evening as the old walls rang with the merriment of the young boys at play there entered through the gateway a tall well-equipped soldierly figure which caught the eyes of the little armourer world in a moment oh that's a real milan helmet exclaimed the one lad and oh what a belt and buff coat cried another the subject of their admiration advanced muttering as if i'd not been away a week adding i pray you pretty lads doth master alderman headley still dwell here yea sir he is our grandfather said the elder boy holding a lesser one by the shoulder as he spoke verily and what may be your names i am giles birkenholt and this is my little brother dick even as i thought wilt thou run into your grandsire and tell him the bigger boy interrupted grandfather is going to bed he is old and weary and cannot see strangers so late "'Tis our father who heareth all the orders.' "'And,' added the little one, with wide-open grave eyes, "'Mother bade us run out and play, and not trouble father, "'because Uncle Ambrose is so downcast, "'because they have cut off the head of good Sir Thomas More.' "'Yet,' said the visitor, "'methinks your father would hear of an old comrade. "'Or stay, where be Tibble Steelman and Kit Smallbones?' "'Tibble is in the hall, well-nigh as sad as Uncle Ambrose,' began Dick. But Giles, better able to draw conclusions, exclaimed, "'Tibble! Kit! You know them, sir! Oh, are you the Giles Headley that ran away to be a soldier ere I was born?' "'Kit! Kit! See here!' As the giant, broader and perhaps a little more bent, but with little loss of strength, came forward out of his hut." and taking up the matter just where it had been left fourteen years before demanded as they shook hands ah master giles how couldst thou play me such a scurvy trick nay kit was it not best for all that i turned my back to make way for honest stephen by this time young giles had rushed up the stair to the hall where as he said truly stephen was giving his brother such poor comfort as could be had from sympathy when listening to the story of the cheerful, brave resignation of the noblest of all the victims of Henry the Eighth, Ambrose had been with Sir Thomas well nigh to the last, had carried messages between him and his friends during his imprisonment, had handed his papers to him at his trial, had been with Mrs. Roper when she broke through the crowd and fell on his neck as he walked from Westminster Hall with the axe-edge turned towards him had received his last kind farewell counsel and blessing and had only not been with him on the scaffold because sir thomas had forbidden it saying in the old strain of mirth which never forsook him nay come not my good friend thou art of a queasy nature and i would fain not haunt thee against thy will all was over now the wise and faithful head had fallen because it would not own the wrong for the right and Ambrose had been brought home by his brother, a being confounded, dazed, seeming hardly able to think or understand aught save that the man whom he had above all loved and looked up to was taken from him, judicially murdered, and by the king. The whole world seemed utterly changed to him, and as to thinking or planning for himself, he was incapable of it. Indeed, he looked fearfully ill his little nephew came up to his father's knee pausing though open-mouthed and at the first token of permission bursting out oh father he's a soldier in the court kit is talking to him and he is giles headley that ran away he has a beauteous spanish leathern coat and a belt with silver bosses and a morion that phil smallbones saith to be of milan but i say it is french Stephen had no sooner gathered the import of this intelligence than he sprang down almost as rapidly as his little boy with his welcome Nor did Giles Headley return at all in the dilapidated condition that had been predicted He was stout comely and well fleshed and very handsomely clad and equipped in a foreign style with nothing of the lean wolfish appearance of sir John Fulford the two old comrades heartily shook one another by the hand in real gladness at the meeting Stephen's welcome was crossed by the greeting and inquiry whether all was well Yea, the alderman is hale and hearty, but aged your mother is tabled at a religious house in Salisbury I know I landed at Southampton and have seen her and Dennett, Stephen added with a short laugh. She could not wait for you no verily did i not wot well that she cared not a fico for me i hoped when i made off that thou wouldst be the winner steve and i am right glad thou art man but i can thank thee giles said stephen changing to the familiar singular pronoun i have oft since thought what a foolish figure i should have cut had i met thee among the badgers after having given leg bail because i might not brook seeing thee wedded to her for i was sore tempted only thou was free and mine indenture held me fast then it was so and i did thee a good turn for i tell thee steve i never knew how well i liked thee till i was wounded and sick among those who heeded neither god nor man but one word more stephen ere we go in the moor's little maiden is she still unwedded yea was stephen's answer she is still waiting maid to mistress roper daughter to good sir thomas more but alack giles they are in sore trouble as it may be thou hast heard and my poor brother is like one distraught ambrose did indeed meet giles like one in a dream he probably would have made the same mechanical greeting if the emperor or the pope had been at that moment presented to him but Dennet, who had been attending to her father made up all that was wanting in cordiality she had always had a certain sense of shame for having flouted her cousin and as his mother told her driven him to death and destruction and it was highly satisfactory to see him safe and sound and apparently respectable and prosperous moreover grieved as all the family were for the fate of the admirable and excellent moor it was a relief to those less closely connected with him to attend to something beyond poor ambrose's sorrow and his talk the which moreover might be perilous if any outsider listened and reported it to the authorities as disaffection to the king So Giles told his story sitting on the gallery in the cool of the summer evening And marvelling over and over again how entirely unchanged all was Since his first view of the dragon court as a proud sullen raw lads twenty summers ago Since that time he had seen so much that the time appeared far longer to him than to those who had stayed at home. It seemed that Fulford had from the first fascinated him more than any of the party guests, and that each day of the free life of the expedition, and of contact with the soldiery, made a return to the monotony of the forge, the decorous life of a London citizen, and the bridle with a child, to whom he was indifferent, seemed more intolerable to him. Fulford imagining rightly that the knowledge of his intentions might deter young Birkenholt from escaping, enjoined strict secrecy on either lad, not intending them to meet till it should be too late to return, and therefore had arranged that Giles should quit the party on the way to Calais, bringing with him Will Wary and the horse he rode. Giles had then been enrolled among the Badgers. He had little to tell about his life among them till the Battle of Pavia where he had had the good fortune to take three French prisoners But a stray shot from a fugitive had broken his leg during the pursuit and he had been laid up in a merchant's house at Pavia for several months He evidently looked back to the time with gratitude as having wakened his better Associations which had been well-nigh stifled during the previous years of the wild life of a soldier of fortune. His host's young daughter had eyes like Aldonza, and the almost forgotten possibility of returning to his love a brave and distinguished man awoke once more. His burgher thrift began to assert itself again, and he deposited a nest egg from the ransoms of his prisoners in the hands of his host, who gave him bonds by which he could recover the sum from Lombard correspondents in London. He was bound by his engagements to join the badgers again or he would have gone home on his recovery and he had shared in the terrible taking of Rome of which he declared that he could not speak with a significant look at Dennett and her children who were devouring his words he had however stood guard over a lady and her young children whom some savage Spaniards were about to murder and the whole family had overpowered him with gratitude Lodged him sumptuously in their house and shown themselves as grateful to him as if he had given them all the treasure Which he had abstained from seizing The sickness brought on by their savage excesses together with the Roman summer had laid low many of the badgers When the Prince of Orange drew off the army from the miserable city scarce seven score of that once gallant troop were in marching order and Sir John Falford himself was dying he sent for Giles as less of a demon than most of the troop, and sent a gold medal, the only fragment of spoil remaining to him, to his daughter Perronel. To Giles himself, Fulford bequeathed Abenali's well-tested sword, and he died in the comfortable belief, so far as he troubled himself about the matter at all, that there were special exemptions for soldiers. The Badgers now incorporated themselves with another broken body of Langstrecks and fell under the command of a better and more conscientious captain. Giles, who had been horrified rather than hardened by the experiences of Rome, was found trustworthy and rose in command. The troop was sent to take charge of the Pope at Orvieto, and thus it was that he had fallen in with the Englishman of Gardner's Suite, and had been able to send his letter to Ambrose. Since he had found the means of rising out of the slough, he had made up his mind to continue to serve till he had won some honor and had obtained enough to prevent his return as a hungry beggar his corps became known for discipline and valor it was trusted often was in attendance on the Emperor and was fairly well paid Giles was there ancient and had charge of the banner nor could it be doubted that he had flourished his last adventure had been the expedition to Tunis where 20,000 Christian captives had been set free from the dungeons and galleys, and so grand a treasure had been shared among the soldiery that Giles, having completed the term of service for which he was engaged, decided on returning to England before, as he said, he grew any older, to see how matters were going. For the future, he said, it depended on how he found things. If Aldonza would none of him, he should return to the emperor's service, if she would go with him he held such a position that he could provide for her honorably or He could settle in England for he had a good sum in the hands of Lombard merchants having made over to them spoils of war Ransom and arrears when he obtained them and having at times earned something by exercising his craft Which he said had been most valuable to him Indeed he thought he could show Stephen and tibble a few fresh arts he had picked up at Milan Meantime his first desire was to see Eldonza She was still at Chelsea with her mistress and Ambrose to his brother's regret went thither every day Partly because he could not keep away and partly to try to be of use to the family Giles might accompany him though he still looked so absorbed in his trouble that it was doubtful whether he had really understood What was passing or that he was wanted to bring about an interview between his companion and Aldonza the beautiful grounds at Chelsea in their summer beauty looked inexpressibly mournful deprived of him who had planted and cherished the trees and roses as they passed along in the barge one spot after another recalled more bright jests or wise words above all the very place where he had told his son-in-law Roper that he was merry not because he was safe, but because the fight was won and his conscience had triumphed against the king he loved and feared Giles told the report That the Emperor had said he would have given a hundred of his nobles for one such counsellor as more and the prospect of telling this to the daughters had somewhat cheered Ambrose They found a guard in the royal livery at the stairs to the river and at the door of the house but these had been there ever since Sir Thomas's apprehension. They knew Ambrose Birkenholt and made no objection to his passing in and leaving his companion to walk about among the borders and paths, once so trim, but already missing their master's hand and eye. Very long it seemed to Giles, who was nearly despairing, when a female figure in black came out of one of the side doors, which were not guarded. And seemed to be timidly looking for him instantly he was at her side. Not here she said, and in silence led the way to a pleached alley out of sight of the windows. There they stood still. It was a strange meeting of two who had not seen each other for fourteen years when the one was a tall, ungainly youth, the other well-nigh a child, and now Giles was a fine, soldierly man in the prime of life with a short curled beard and powerful alert bearing and aldonza though the first flower of her youth had gone by yet having lived a sheltered and far from toilsome life was a really beautiful woman gracefully proportioned and with the delicate features and clear olive skin of the andalusian moor her eyes always her finest feature were sunken with weeping and their soft beauty could still be seen giles threw himself on his knee and grasped at her hand my love my only love he cried oh how can i think of such matters now now when it is thus with my dear mistress said aldonza in a mournful voice as though her tears were all spent yet not withholding her hand you knew me before you knew her said giles see aldonza what i have brought back to you and he half drew the sword her father had made she gave a grasp of delight for well she knew every device in the gold inlaying of the blade and she looked at giles with eyes full of gratitude i knew thou wouldst own me said giles i have fought and gone far from thee aldonza canst not spare one word for thine old giles ah giles there is one thing which if you will do for my mistress I would be yours from-from my heart of hearts, say it, sweetheart, and it is done. you know not it is perilous, and may be many would quail, yet it may be less perilous for you than for one who is better known. Peril and I are well acquainted, my heart. she lowered her voice as her eyes dilated, and she laid her hand on his arm. Thou wottest what is on London Bridge gates i saw it a sorry sight my mistress will not rest till that dear and sacred head holy as any blessed relic be taken down so as not to be the sport of sun and wind and cruel men gaping beneath she cannot sleep she cannot sit or stand still she cannot even kiss her child for thinking of it her mind is set on taking it down yet she will not peril her husband "'nor verily know I how any here could do the deed. "'Ha! I have scaled a wall ere now. "'I bear our banner at Galetta, "'with the battlements full of angry moors "'not far behind the Emperor's. "'You would? And be secret? "'Then indeed naught would be overmuch for you. "'And this very night? "'The sooner the better.' "'She not only clasped his hands in thanks, "'but let him raise her face to his, and take the reward he felt his due. Then she said she must return, but Ambrose would bring him all particulars. Ambrose was as anxious as herself and her mistress that the thing should be done, but was unfit by all his habits and his dainty scholarly niceness to render such effectual assistance as a soldier could do. Giles offered to scale the gate by night himself carry off the head and take it to any place mrs. Roper might appoint with no assistance save such as Ambrose could afford Aldonza shuddered a little at this proving that her heart had gone out to him already But with this he had to be contented for she went back into the house and he saw her no more Ambrose came back to him and with something more like cheerfulness than he had yet seen said thou art happy Giles more happy than I durst hope to find her Tush I mean not that but to be able to do the work of the holy ones of old who gathered the remnants of the martyrs While I have indeed the will but am but a poor craven It is gone nearer to comfort that sad hearted lady than aught else It appeared that mrs. Roper would not be satisfied unless she herself were present at the undertaking and this was contrary to the views of Giles who thought the further off women were in such a matter the better There was a watch at the outer entrance of London Bridge the train bands taking turns to supply it But it was known by experience that they did not think it necessary to keep awake after belated travelers had ceased to come in and Sir Thomas more's head was set over the opposite gateway looking inwards at the city the most suitable hour would be between one and two o'clock when no one would be stirring and the summer night would be at the shortest Mrs.. Roper was exceedingly anxious to implicate no one and to prevent her husband and brother from having any knowledge of an act that William Roper might have Prohibited as if she could not absolutely Exculpate him it might be fatal to him She would therefore allow no one to assist save Ambrose and a few more devoted old servants of condition too low for anger to be likely to light upon them. She was to be rowed with muffled oars to the spot, to lie hid in the shadow of the bridge till a signal like the cry of a peewit was exchanged from the bridge, then approach the stairs at the inner angle of the bridge where Giles and Ambrose would meet her. Giles's experience as a man at arms stood him in good stead. He purchased a rope. As he went home also some iron ramps he took a survey of the arched gateway in the course of the afternoon and shutting himself into one of the worksheds with Ambrose he constructed such a rope ladder as was used in scaling fortresses especially when seized at night by surprise he beguiled the work by a long series of anecdotes of adventures of the kind of all of which Ambrose heard not one word the whole court and especially Giles number three were very curious as to their occupation But nothing was said even to Stephen for it was better if Ambrose should be suspected that he should be wholly ignorant But he had they knew not how gathered somewhat Only Ambrose was at parting for the night obliged to ask him for the key of the gate Brother then he said what is this work I see? Dost thee think I can let thee go into a danger I do not partake? I will share in this pious act towards the man I have ever reverenced. So, at dead of night, the three men stole out together, all in the plainest leathern suits. The deed was done in the perfect stillness of the sleeping city, and without mishap or mischance. Stephen's strong hand held the ladder securely and aided to fix it to the ramps and just as the early dawn was touching the summit of St. Paul's Spire with a promise of light, Giles stepped into the boat and reverently placed his burden within the opening of a velvet cushion that had been ripped up and deprived of part of the stuffing so as to conceal it effectually. The brave Margaret Roper, the English Antigone, well knowing that all depended on her self-control, refrained from aught that might shake it. She only raised her face to Giles and murmured from dry lips, Sir, God must reward you. And Aldonza, who sat beside her, held out her hand. Ambrose was to go with them to the priest's house, where Mrs. Roper was forced to leave her treasure, since she durst not take it to Chelsea, as the royal officers were already in possession, and the whole family were to depart on the ensuing day. Stephen and Giles returned safely to Cheapside End of chapter 24